him, and I do appreciate the truth of that song. That ought to be the desire of our heart. I just want to please the Lord, be in his will in every way, and uh, thank you for that. And it's a joy to be back tonight. I was thinking about, you know, Brother Art and I was talking a while ago. He told somebody who knew me since I was 15, and I think he was five when we met, and uh, <laughs> that might not have been the exact truth, but anyway, and uh, but we've, uh, of course, known uh, folks here for a number of years, and I was thinking back, you know, when I was a teenager preaching and singing with the Blessed Hope Singers, my uh, nephew called me one day, and he was all excited. He had found a uh, record album of the Blessed Hope Singers, uh, still in the plastic, he said, so he began to bid on it on eBay, and it was the album After Every Teardrop, my Sister Wanda wrote that song, and that was the feature song on that album. And uh, some of the young people are saying, what's an album? But anyway, that long play record. And uh, he was so excited, man. He called me and said, I won the bid. And he was so excited. I, I hated to tell him, I've got some in the garage I'd give to you. But anyway, and uh, storage. But we, we're so old. Uh, we recorded when uh, not only had long play albums, but we also had eight-track tapes. Some of you all remember those eight-track tapes. And and of course cassettes, and then uh, went to CD, and and uh, they're even uh, making it more difficult. A lot of vehicles anymore don't even have CD players in it, and so I know as technology advances, uh, it's really amazing, but um, it's been a journey of serving the Lord that's been so wonderful. Who'd ever dream, and I mean that as a child, starting out wanting to serve the Lord and just being able to continue in His work, I, I don't take it lightly. God's been so good to us, and and uh, thankful for Miss Pam's dad. I know I told you that uh, for my teenage years, he was my uh, driver. And he told me, he said, you get a place to preach and I'll drive you there. And boy, I tell you, he was a real friend of this uh, young preacher. Didn't know uh, when he started driving for me that he would become my father-in-law. He probably wouldn't have been so nice to me. But anyway, and uh, we had the privilege, my Dad went to heaven in 2000, my mother in 2013. We moved them to Arkansas to take care of them. Mother had cancer in 1989. It came back again uh, just after we moved them to Arkansas in 91. And uh, Dad was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And the fact is, we met together right here uh, at the church. I was preaching a revival here, I think it was 1989, and Dad came to the meeting, and he told me, he said, Son, there's something wrong with me, but the doctors can't figure out what it is. But I'm very concerned that, uh, you know, I want to make sure your mother's taken care of. And we prayed together right here, and I made a commitment to him that he would not have to be concerned. I would take care of her. And right after that, I mean, within just a few months, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I thought to myself, wow, he really missed that. He thought it was going to be him. It's going to be her. But uh, she survived the cancer, and I say this, uh, you know, in that uh, time period, uh, I began to realize what was going on with Dad's health, and so he continued to preach even after we moved him to Arkansas, but uh, didn't always know where he was at. But you get him in the pulpit, man, he'd be all right. I had him preaching in conference out at our place uh, different times, and uh, we had some uh, wonderful times. And when Dad got to where he couldn't read his notes anymore, a lot of times I just... Uh, on a Sunday night, I'd say, Dad, come up and uh, sit with me on the platform tonight, and I'm going to have you preach for a little while, and I'd say, uh, you know, how about tonight, uh, why don't you just give us something out of Psalms 34, or Psalms 37, or maybe I'd go to some other passage, and, and uh, he'd read a little bit, and then, boy, he'd take off and preach, maybe five minutes, maybe 15 minutes. 
when he'd get done, I could still see him, preacher, folding his Bible and, and turn around and saying, was that all right? I said, oh, that's wonderful. And our, our people loved my dad. He had preached at Victory Baptist there in Benton before I ever became pastor there. He used to preach there in their annual camp meeting, and usually they'd have him come and preach every morning on prayer and, uh, you know, and having a walk with God, and that was kind of, kind of his strength, I guess, uh, of preaching and praying. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about prayer, but Dad was a prayer warrior, and I'll tell you, I'm grateful for the goodly heritage I have. So when uh, my dad, or when my mother died, and she was living with us in a little apartment at our house, and uh, then Pam's mother died unexpectedly seven weeks later, and so uh, we moved Brother Goat into the apartment with us, and he lived the last about five and a half years of his life with us. And man, it was just, I mean this, a real honor to have him there just to be able to maybe pay back a little bit all that he had invested in my life. My, my father-in-law loved to work outdoors, but his health wouldn't allow it. His heart was so bad, and so he couldn't get out and mow the lawn, things that he always enjoyed doing. But he could sit on the front porch and supervise me doing it, and he really had a good time making sure I got it right. But anyway, we sure are grateful for the goodly heritage, and I know many of you uh, that we've met before, but some for the first time. Thank you for being here tonight. We've had a wonderful week. Looking forward to Sunday, expecting God to do some great things, and and I know it's going to be a great time in the Lord's house this Sunday. Take your Bibles tonight, if you would. Go with me to uh, Chronicles. I want to go to First Chronicles. Now, that might scare you right off the bat. First Chronicles chapter number 4. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, when you're doing your Bible readings and you get to the time to go through the Chronicles, that can be a little bit challenging. Uh, let's just be honest, sometimes uh, I call it the who begot, so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and, and you run into big old long names and, and you're thinking, wow, why do we have to have all that? And I will say this, there's a real purpose and reason for that, and the lineage is very important, especially concerning the lineage of Christ. And so... Uh, I'm not preaching about that tonight. Don't get nervous. Don't think I'm going to go through the whole book of Chronicles. And, and, uh, but it is part of the Word of God. And we don't need to neglect it and overlook it. But God throws some nuggets in there from time to time when you're reading in uh, Chronicles. And I want to go to chapter 4 and uh, look at one verse, if you would, with me in chapter 4. And as I mentioned, there's others that, uh, for instance, Jabez and his prayers earlier in that chapter is a fantastic study in the midst of uh, the lineage. And here in verse 23, he's dealing with a little bit of the heritage of, and the lineage of uh, the tribe of Judah. And we're not told exactly which king this is a reference to, but it's really kind of an overview of some of the different areas of service. And uh, I want us to begin, or just read that one verse tonight, and I want to preach for a little while on this thought for the king. Now, I don't know what king these servants we're serving. But I know the king that I'm serving. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you'd let me tonight, I'd like to take this verse and make an application for our lives tonight. How that everything we do and everything that we are ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading there in verse 23. The Bible said that these were the potters. Those that dwelt among the plants and hedges. There they dwelt with the king for his work, for the king. Once you notice four or five things with me tonight, and I'll be very quick. Number one, notice the people of service. The Bible said these were the potters and those that dwelled among plants and hedges. 
You, you think about these people that are mentioned here. You understand in the work of God, nothing escapes the eye of God. You might think that what you're doing for God is not that big of a deal. And in the kingdom, when you think about this, when visitors would come or people would come from other countries or maybe from other kingdoms and they would visit the king's palace and one of the things that's often talked about as you go back and read in history is some of the amazing gardens that some of these kingdoms had and how beautiful and how lush and and how impressive it was and you know the truth of the matter is the king got all the credit that the people would come and say wow look at the gardens of that king but you know and I know that behind the scenes there were people that were working uh, to get that job done and can I tell you something as we think about what they did uh, as uh, working among us potters and and uh, those that of course got the uh, artifacts prepared to put the plants in and the plants and the hedges whether they were working in the garden or trimming the hedges or doing what they could to just beautify the place for the king. I want you to notice something about the people of service. First of all, it was a humble position. Can I say that probably there's not a great line compared to maybe other jobs that people would jump into, but they were willing to serve the king because that was the appointed place for them. Could I remind you that if we're serving our king, dear friend, it's not about us. It's not about pat me on the back and say what a great person I am or what a great person you are. But everything we do ought to be to bring honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ who is our king. And so it was a humble position. But not only that, it was an honest position. They were serving the king. He had given them this responsibility. What an honest job that it is. Listen, uh, whatever God allows us to do, sometimes God places men in the ministry to be pastors or to be uh, maybe staff members in, in the field of God's work. And, and that's a wonderful thing. But listen, whatever place God gives you to serve Him, whether you're a, uh, involved as a Sunday school teacher or God gives you another position, uh, dear, dear friend, if that's what the Lord has given you to do, it's just an honest uh, position to know that you're serving the King. And, and you know, we're not to compare ourselves by ourselves. The Bible said that's not wise. And so it's not, well, what do I get to do compared to what you get to do? Can I tell you something? When you find the will of God, it's the most exciting thing to be a part of. But not only that, it was a holy position because it was given to them by the king. I remember growing up, of course, got saved and the same week God called me to preach and, you know, through my teenage years, uh, and listen, I wasn't a perfect teenager. I would tell you I was, but some of you remember me as a teenager. And uh, I'm not a perfect adult. Somebody say amen right there. None of us have reached perfection. But can I tell you something with all of my heart? When the Lord called me to preach, I was so thrilled about it. I was so excited about it. I was so scared about it. I remember my very first sermon. And by the way, it is my most requested sermon to this day. Not for its content, but for its length. It only lasted five minutes. And I remember my buddy had surrendered to preach that same week at the camp meeting where I got saved and called to preach. And he preached his first sermon and he sounded like he had been preaching for a long time. He waxed eloquent and I had a five minute message and man I'll tell you I was beginning to wonder Lord did you really call me this was terrible and uh, I was almost shocked and embarrassed and uh, that I couldn't uh, you know I had pages of notes if I had as many notes tonight as I had back then we'd be here till Sunday and uh, man I was I was going and by the way I preached that night on sin I mean I was preaching to Baptists I figured that'd work and uh, I preached on sin and its effect but anyway I preached that five minute sermon I remember getting in the altar 
and, and weeping and saying, Lord, I don't know if I've missed it or not. I thought it would be a little easier than this. But I said, God, if you can use me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I got invited to preach at a church in Clinton, Illinois on a Wednesday night. And uh, we went over there, the uh, Blessed Hope Singers. Now, by the way, in the very beginning, we weren't called the Blessed Hope Singers. We started out because Miss Pam and my sister and a couple other young ladies in the church started singing together when they were like seven. And uh, they were called the Sunshine Girls. And when I sang for the first time in church, my dad said, why don't you do a solo tonight? And it was right after I got saved. And he said, then have the girls uh, sing a song with you. Let them join in on the chorus. So we sang that night. And uh, there was a gentleman visiting there from up around Chicago. And so he went home and told his pastor. He said, I heard a group of young people sing. And uh, you ought to get them to come to our church. And so sure enough, he invited us up there uh, for a, a youth uh, meeting up there that they were having. And advertises as the Sunshine Girls in Kenny. Now, if that doesn't sound like a 70s name, I don't know what does. And uh, I, I told my dad, I said, boy, I don't like that name. And uh, for a while, we'd be in meetings, and it'd be advertised, the Sunshine Girls and Kenny. And uh, my wife hates this story, but uh, over in Australia, years and years later, one of my nieces was working there as a, in child care for a family, and they owned some beauty shops, and they were getting ready to open a new shop. And and the lady said to my niece, uh, what was the name of that group your mother used to sing with? She said, the Blessed Hope Singer said, no, no, not that name, the, the original name. She said, you mean the Sunshine Girls and Kenny? She said, that's it. We're going to name our next beauty shop that we open Kenny and the Sunshine Girls. Over in Australia, there's a beauty shop named Kenny and the Sunshine Girls. They have a parakeet that's named Kenny. He is the mascot of that beauty shop. They have one of our record albums hanging up there that says the original uh, Sunshine Girls and Kenny. And I just uh, tell you, uh, that's a terrible claim to fame if that's all I ever get. But anyway, I've never met Kenny. I've never gone over to that beauty shop and have no interest in it. But anyway, I just thought it was kind of humorous. But uh, we changed the name. Dad had a radio program called the Blessed Hope Hour. And so uh, we changed the name, thankfully, before we started recording and, uh, and became known as the Blessed Hope Singers. But that Wednesday night, I preached my second sermon over in Clinton. And we got home that night, and my sister, uh, you'll remember is Alma. We call her Beth. Alma, we got home that night, and Dad said, well, how did it go? She said, oh, Dad. She said, he preached for 20 minutes, and he yelled in everything. Now, that's my sister's analysis of good preaching, if you yell in everything. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, she said it was really great, and we had a great time, and, and, uh, and they've gotten longer since then. Somebody say amen or oh me. But anyway, you know, listen, I didn't know. I said, Lord, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll tell you, uh, here we are 53 years later, and God's still allowing me to preach the Word of God. What a joy. What a privilege. And listen, just know that whatever you get to do, for the cause of Christ, it is a joy to serve the King. So we see the people of service, but notice secondly the place of service. The Bible said these were the potters, those that dwelt among plants and hedges. Notice the next word, there. There. Uh, where's there? Well, that's where the King placed them. You know, all of us have a there. You know, guys, gals, when you get married, that's your first there in your adult life. You get married. Now, of course, you get saved by the grace of God. You get married. You need to, you need to work on that there. 
make your home a success. Now, there may be people here who say, well, Brother Graham, I had a failed marriage. Listen, I'm not here to pick on you or attack you or criticize you, but I'm telling you where you're at now, let it be your there and do your best to honor God, uh, to love your wife and love your husband and build a home that is really in contrast to the crazy world we're living in and to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and let them know, hey, listen, there's a there. Some of you parents understand, maybe grandparents understand. Once in a while, maybe we'll see a child go in a direction they shouldn't go, and it breaks our heart, but we want to be there when they get right with God. We want to be there uh, like the prodigal uh, father when he... The error of his way and begin to think about home. I'm glad his dad was still in his there when he got ready to come home. Find you're there in the service of the Lord. You're there in the house of God. You're there in the place that God has called you to labor. And to find you're there and get there until he tells you to go somewhere else. Serve him in your there. Well, I'm glad God has given me some theirs in my life. I'm thankful for God putting Miss Graham and I together uh, over 46 years ago. And I'll tell you, I'm grateful for the there that He's given me with my wife. I'm grateful for the there that He's given me with the call to preach. I'm glad that for over 33 years He let me pastor the same church. And that was my there until He told me it was time uh, to get on the road and go in evangelism and continue to serve. I'm, gl I'm glad, and I mean this, that our home church still lets me be a member there. I'm glad that's my there as far as my church membership. And I'm grateful for that. Find your there and get in there and serve God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then let me say thirdly, we see the not only the place of service, but the privilege of service. I love this next phrase. It says, there they dwelt with the king. What a statement. Now think about this. You'll understand what I'm saying. If you are the king, you are royalty. If you're taking care of the pottery and the plants and the shrubs, you wouldn't call that royalty. But can I tell you, there were people that had higher positions that didn't get the privilege that these folks had because they dwelt with the king. You understand on a daily basis, apparently the king in touch with them on a regular basis. The king communed with them on a regular basis. The king uh, had uh, no doubt conversations with them. Why? Because everything about their work was to please the king. I'm telling you, it's interesting. It said they dwelt uh, with the king. Now, why would they dwell with the king? Well, let me say, first of all, they dwelt with the king to be mindful of his desires. Pretty hard to know what the king wants if you're never around him. You know, we ought to get so close to the Lord that we would pray about everything. Lord, does this please you? If I go here, does this please you? If I do this, does it please you? It ought to be our desire to be mindful of His desires. Listen, the reality is, dear friend, we're not in charge of our own life and our own destiny. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're a child of the King. And what we need to do is get close to Him and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What Does this please you? Lord, would you like for me to do this? And time and time again, they would learn to understand what the king wanted from them, what his expectations were, what pleased the king. And I'm sure the king could tell them, hey, listen, here's what I'd like for our gardens to look like. Here's what I'd like for our shrubbery to look like. Here's what I'd like for our pot." All of that being said, they did it for the king. How much more should we want to serve our heavenly king? And as Miss Graham sang a while ago, singing, I just want to please the Lord, be in His will in every way. I just want Him to be satisfied with my life. And at the end of it, hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, to be mindful of His desires. But can I say, when you're close to the King, it gives you an opportunity to be more like the King. 
You love that song, I'm sure, that says, More like the Master would I ever be. I want to see His image, the Scripture talked about, stamped upon us. Psalms talked about that in Psalms 90 and other passages of Scripture that somehow our lives would be lived in such a way that people could see Christ in us. I'll tell you something, what a challenge that is. Young man in Granite City, Illinois, went to the barber shop one day and his mother had taken him there. Of course, he's just a boy and got in the chair and the barber said, how would you like for me to cut your hair? And he said, I want you to cut my hair just like Brother Showers. Well, that was his pastor. Brother Showers was the preacher that had reached my dad when dad was away from the Lord and dad surrendered to preach under his ministry and started the first church out of Brother Showers' church that he pastored. And, and he said, I want you to cut my hair just like Brother Showers. Now, we're talking about a little boy getting in a barber's chair. Well, Brother Showers had the kind of hair that he had to ring around the side and nothing on top. And, of course, you could see his mother saying, whoa, whoa, wait, wait just a minute. <laughs> Don't do that. And, of course, the barber told him, he said, well, I don't think your mother wants me to do that, but could I ask you, why do you want to have your hair cut like Pastor Showers? And he said, because Brother Showers reminds me of God. And when I think of God, I think of Brother Showers. And he's so godly and so Christ-like. And I just thought if I could wear my hair like him, maybe I'd be more like Jesus. I thought, Lord, I want to live in such a way that somebody could see Jesus in him. That somebody could say there's something different about him. Our response, our reaction. I understand we're all still in the flesh and we're not perfect. We understand that. But I'll tell you, wouldn't it be great every once in a while if in watching your life, somebody at work could see something different about you. A lady in our church that worked in our local Walmart and, and one day at work a lady said to her, okay, what's different about you? So what do you mean? Well, when everybody else, you know, would get yelled at by a customer, they'd be so upset and you're just so calm and serene. How do you handle it? When the boss jumps on you, and you just take it with such a good spirit. And she said, well, I'm a Christian. And she said, don't give me that. Everybody in Saline County is a Christian except for me, or at least they profess to be. And that's not true, but the majority of people in our county are church-going people. And she said... Uh, because I'm a Jew. And she said, what's different about you? And she said, well, all I can tell you is, you know, I try to live like God would have me to live according to the word of God. And she said, well, let me ask you a question. Where do you go to church? She said, well, I go to Victory Baptist Church. And she said, well, ask your, I don't know what you call him. We have a rabbi. Ask your priest or preacher or whatever you call him if it would be okay if I could come to your church. She said, well, I don't have to ask him. You're welcome to come. She said, but I, I'm a Jew. She said, he won't care. Well, you, you're sure. She said, no, he won't mind at all. You're welcome to come. So she came to our church, and I'll never forget the first time she came and uh, heard me preach after church. She said, I'm so surprised. I said, what? She said, you preach from the Old Testament. I said, well, yes, ma'am. I said, we believe the Bible is the word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all God's word. She said, I thought Christians didn't use the Old Testament. She said, that, that kind of impressed me. And uh, she said, you know, I'm a Jew. And she said, I'm not looking to become a Christian. But she said, I had to figure out what makes this lady that I work with tick. She's so different than everybody else I know. And you know what? She kept coming. And she kept coming. And she kept coming. When I, Pam and I had gone to visit her in her home, 
And she said, Preacher, I'm convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Tears running down her cheeks, he said, but you don't understand. She pointed at the menorah. She pointed at her dad's prayer book, the, all the different artifacts of the Jewish faith. And she said, Preacher, if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to say that I'm turning my back on all of this as far as the way of salvation. We wept together. Pam and I pleaded with her to give her heart to Christ. She did not, but she kept coming. I preached a message, and I've only preached it a couple times. Some of the ladies here heard me preach it at the ladies' conference over in Raymond several years ago where I preach a little and we sing a little, and it's on the potter and the clay out of Jeremiah. And I preached it that night at our church for the first time. And when I gave the invitation, of course, we were just about to end the service and decided to sing one more verse, and she came walking forward and said, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And, boy, you're talking about a rejoicing time. Everybody was so excited to see her give her heart to Jesus Christ. Why did that happen? She saw something different. She saw something real. She saw something unique, something unusual. In other words, here was a lady in our church, and by the way, one of the sweetest Christian ladies you'll ever meet, that just wanted to be more like the Master. I'm just telling you, as you and I live the Christian life, dear friend, we ought to grow day by day to be more like Him. We ought to desire, Romans 12 said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the... Listen, the Word of God renews us to become more and more like the Master. Let me say, fourthly, the priority of service. The last phrase there of that verse says, they dwelt with the King, notice this, for His work. You know why people get discouraged in the work of the Lord? Because we forget it's not ours. It's His. The work is the Lord's. Can I tell you, the work of God is a challenging work. There's no doubt about it. Ecclesiastes 10.7 said, I've seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. In other words, that's out of order. Uh, listen, dear friend, we ought to realize we're servants. We don't need uh, to have great recognition or fame or think we're anybody or anything. For Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And God does use people. And what a joy that God allows people to serve Him. But we must always remember it's for the King. So we must labor for the King in my corner of the field. You know, God chooses places for us to serve in. And some may end up in places that we think, wow, I wish I could be there. And, uh, you know, the reality is, dear friend, the greatest place to be is in the will of God. That's the safest place to be in my corner of the field. But we not only have to labor for the king, we must look to the king. Look to him for direction. Lord, what would you have me to do? Look to him to know his desire. And even look to Him to know His destination for our life. Lord, uh, where do you want me to serve you? Lord, you show me where you want me and help me to get there and stay there. In the Old Testament, the Bible in the New Testament calls us vessels of the Lord, some to honor, some to dishonor. In the Old Testament, you'll remember David wanted to build the temple for God, and God said, no, David, you're a bloody man. You're not going to get to build it. David didn't get mad at God and say, well, Lord, if you're not going to let me do it, then I'm going to take my marbles and go home. David said, well, I can't build it, but I could prepare some things for it. And one of the things that David did was he got the vessels of the Lord 
to be used in the temple, and he brought them and dedicated them to the Lord. So these are the Lord's vessels, and they were going to be used in the temple. And by the way, you and I get saved by the grace of God. The Bible said uh, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. We belong to Him. And therefore, as His children, dear friend, we ought to recognize that we're dedicated to Him. The songwriter said, Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. So therefore, I belong to Him. And as a result of that, he, David dedicated those vessels and said, These are the vessels of the Lord. And then Solomon became king. And Solomon took those vessels that his father had dedicated to the Lord and Solomon designated where those vessels would be in the house of God. You can go into Chronicles and read about when Solomon became king and when he built the temple and God allowed him to build the temple. What a beautiful, beautiful place it was. And he set those different vessels in the places that God had directed him to set them and designated them. And listen, whatever God has for your life, you just get in the will of God and do it with all your mind. And I'm telling you, the happiest place to be is in the center of God's will. But there came a time in Israel's history when their backsliding ways had brought an enemy against them by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar came and he stole the vessels out of the house of God, carried them to Babylon. And now these vessels, and I would remind you, they belong to the Lord but they're no longer in the Lord's house. They're out in Babylon, which is a picture of the world, and the enemy is now dominating over them. Here's Nebuchadnezzar taking vessels that belong to God. Can I tell you, all across America, there are Christians tonight who are saved by the grace of God, who once faithfully served the Lord. Uh, you know, even in your community, like it is in mine, I'll run into people that they used to be in church and they used to be serving the Lord. And all of a sudden the enemy is dominating over their life and they're making decisions they never thought they would make. When I went to Benton in January of 1988, I hadn't been there long at all and I found out there was a member of our church that was backslid on God. Had, he and his wife had, uh, had some problems and, and uh, so uh, she was broken hearted and said, Preacher, you know, I... I'd really like to see my husband get right with God. And, and I said, well, I'd be glad to go talk to him. And I got the address. And, man, he was living way up uh, in the mountains over there, about an hour from the church. And I got another guy, and we headed over there. And I'll never forget, I knocked on his door on Saturday morning. He came to the door still in his pajamas and wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And I said, are you so-and-so? He said, yes. I said, I'm Ken Graham, and I'm your pastor. And he said, I had a feeling you'd show up. I'd never met the man. He said, let me get dressed. And so we got dressed. We got in the truck and rode around. We talked about things, just getting acquainted. Him and the other man knew each other. We talked about hunting and fishing and you know, other spiritual things. No, we just talked, got acquainted, and we're riding along. And after a while, I'll never forget it. He said, all right, preacher, you didn't drive all the way up here just to talk about hunting and fishing. Let me have it. I said, let you have what? He said, I know you've come to let me have it. So give me the sermon. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, are you saved? He said, preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm saved. I said, then what could I tell you that the Holy Ghost of God hasn't already told you? He began to weep and he said, oh, preacher, that's the toughest sermon I ever heard because he's been talking to me. He said, I just didn't know if my wife would take me back. I just didn't know if the church would let me come back. And I said, your wife is standing ready 
to forgive you and the church is standing ready to forgive you and you need to just come back and get right with God. And he said, I will. And he came that Sunday and I'll tell you what a sweet time it was when him and his wife embraced in the altar and wept their way back together and, and, uh, and the church, of course, gave him quickly forgiveness because he wanted to get right with God. But here's what he told me. He said, Preacher, if someone had told me six months ago that I'd be where I'm at right now, I'd have said there's no way that would ever happen. But he got mad. And in that anger, got out of church and got out of church and then he got in sin and got involved in things that he never dreamed he would have simply because he let his spirit get out of check. Talk about a man that had once been faithfully serving God. It's like that all over America. Can I just remind you, there are a lot of people who are saved, but the enemy's dominating over their life. God doesn't want us to live like that. And I know I'm preaching Friday night to faithful folks, but can I tell you, there are people out there that the devil's got them convinced that they can never get right with God. Well, wait about, what about those vessels? Well, when, Bel, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was no longer king, Belshazzar became king, and one night he decided to take the vessels of the Lord and put wine in it and drink to the gods of the satanic, to uh, drink to their false gods and make a mockery of the, of the house of God and the things of God. And he took those vessels and he desecrated them. Can you imagine pouring liquor into those vessels that belonged to the Lord and having a drunken party. And you remember what happened. Uh, God led Daniel in there to tell him, hey, listen, uh, judgment's coming tonight. History tells us what happened, how that he lost the kingdom that night. It's amazing how the judgment of God fell upon him. But that's not the end of the story of the vessels. Time went on. There was a man by the name of Ezra that was used of God in a the next king, Darius, realized they had vessels that didn't belong to them. And he gave them back to Ezra. And Ezra took the vessels of the Lord and undoubtedly cleaned them up, brought them back to where they belonged and reestablished them in the house of God in Jerusalem. And Ezra demonstrated that even when your vessel gets dominated by the enemy or even desecrated by the enemy, you can still get right with God and God can use your life and God can clean your vessel up. And Boy, what a great study it is about the vessels of the Lord. We need to understand, dear friend, that the king has the right to designate where he wants us to serve. And Listen, we, life's too short to be bitter or angry or have hurt feelings or say, well, preacher, you just don't understand what happened to me. Can I tell you something? Uh, God has given you, if you're saved tonight, the gift of eternal life. The very least we could do is live for Him. Now, if you're not saved, He wants you to have that gift of eternal life. Let me say, lastly, we must love the King. 1 John 4.19 said we love Him because He first loved us. You know, that's where it begins. The truth of the matter is, long before someone said, Oh, I tell you, I just started seeking the Lord. Well, before you ever sought Him, He was already seeking for you. The Bible said that God... Uh, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The most famous verse in all of the world, John 3.16. But the Bible said, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. The Bible made it clear that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Can I say to you that loving Christ begins first of all at salvation. Somebody said, well, you know, Brother Graham, I, I love God. Well, let me say something. If you've, if you've rejected His Son for salvation, you don't love Him. 
Well, that's awful bold of you. Well, listen, friends, how could you love him and reject his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, I think I can get to heaven by my good deeds, or I think I can get to... Listen, if you could get saved any other way than what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary, dear friend, then he should have never gone to the cross of Calvary. But there's no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There aren't ten ways to heaven. There aren't even five ways. There aren't even two ways to heaven. It's Christ alone that gives eternal life. So you have to receive Him. But once you're saved, listen, as a child of God, then there ought to be a driving desire in our heart to love Him. I love that song that said, I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. Oh, that we would love Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And I tell you what, dear friend, we want our love uh, to grow stronger every day. Why? Because it's for the King. You know Him as your Savior tonight? Are you serving Him with all your heart tonight? You know, we've preached and talked about revival, and revival is God's people getting right. Evangelism is the result of that. But church, let me just remind you tonight, it's not time for us to take it easy. Our world is in a mess, and it's getting worse every day. We look at all that's going on on a global level, and and we're not really surprised by it. I can remember preachers preaching. I heard things today on the news. I'm reminded of preachers that preached uh, probably some 50 years ago about things that uh, could unfold in the future and many of those things are happening and, and uh, I understand listen I still believe Jesus is coming I still believe that we're going to get out of here before the tribulation I thank God for that but I'm telling you last days perilous times shall come and they're here but oh listen what a contrast a Christian's life can be to a lost and dying world to be able to shine your light the Bible said let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world, but he said you're the light of the world. In other words, we're to reflect what he's put in our heart everywhere we go. Father, we love you tonight. Help us to realize we're in this for you, Lord. It's not about us getting glory or recognition or a pat on the back, but Lord, every bit of it is that we might exalt our King. Lord, there may be somebody here tonight that's lost. I pray they'll be drawn to you for salvation through cords of love. Lord, I pray that if there's a believer tonight, maybe that's drifted a little bit, that you'd draw them closer to you. Then, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that has friends and loved 